Take your Bibles with me, please. They'll post it on the screen as well. But we honor the Word of God by standing as we read it today. It's in Psalm 72. And just as we do, we're going to read three verses. But let me let you know that this is a Psalm of David. And it's actually a Psalm of David for Solomon. The Psalm begins, it's a Psalm for Solomon. And so anytime you see... Uh, in, in the uh, beginning of a psalm, an exhortation of the intent of the author, its purpose, you can kind of begin to discover what was on the heart, the mind of the psalmist as he is receiving this word from God that's a revelation of the nature and the goodness of God. And he's certainly hoping to inspire, the psalmist David is hoping to inspire his son Solomon, who is taking the kingdom upon his death, or actually uh, David made him king before he died. The 17th verse, so it's just three verses that we're going to read initially, but there are a lot of verses that we're going to look at later. It says, His name, the name of God, His name shall endure forever. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? His name. His name shall be, con- shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in Him. All nations shall call Him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. Now listen to this, the 19th verse. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Now you know why we say things like that, us preachers. Amen and amen. Because David said it. And he said it. He gave an amen to his own sermon. Well, that's when you know you've got the anointing on your life. When you say, I'll just pat myself on the back after that one. Amen. Because he's got his, his glorious name. He said, blessed is the glorious name of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today or begin talking about his glorious name. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I'm so privileged to be in this house to look upon such a wonderful host of men and women and to know that, God, you have given me a sacred time and a sacred responsibility to speak to them the Word of God. Father, I ask, as I've asked privately, I ask publicly, Lord, that preaching would go easy in this house today, that people's hearts would be receptive, whatever creative, Father, gift that you've placed in me that can be used to aid in sharing the Word of God, I pray that it would be readily prevalent in this moment, God. It's in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen and amen. You can be seated. Before we kind of get into the heart of where I want to take you for a few moments, I want you to just, I I often do this, look at life or try to look at it from the pastor's perspective. You know, I don't want to waste this time. I don't want to waste your time. I want to make sure that I'm ministering the word of God in some capacity that I believe can um, affect your life positively in your communion with God. And so there's a lot of diversity in the church today, and I know that's a overused and misused and sometimes uh, a word that we don't even want to hear about at times, but there's a lot of diversity in age and where we come from and whether we've been in the kingdom very long or male and female, married and unmarried and things of that nature. And, you know, you're, just li- you're at different seasons of life. You have to think about that. And there's a, there's a word for you in the Word of God, without a doubt. But I've got to arrive here at the place where hopefully I can minister something broad enough to cover everybody, but specific enough to speak to you. Now, that's not easy to do. 
And so, you know, the latter couple of weeks I've shared with you that I've kind of used, I've used stories, following biblical accounts to make spiritual or life principles. And that's a powerful thing, and I love to do so. But, you know, you can't always do that every week. Sometimes, I'm never going to be somebody that backs away from doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching. I'm not going to be somebody that just backs away and says, you know what, we don't need to grow in our knowledge of either the Word of God or God, because that's simply not true. I want to live every breath that I have striving to learn more about God, striving to see Him. He's called many faceted, faceted is what I usually say, many faceted. There's many sides to God, and we just, sometimes you just turn a little bit, and you see a different side, or you understand a greater depth. And you know what? It's, it's, it's a powerful thing, because from that moment of understanding, from that moment where that knowledge has been revealed to you to the degree that you understand something related to God. How many of you know that empowers your life? It empowers your communion with God. It empowers your fellowship with Him. It allows you to unlock provisions that God has for us. right? Because I'm telling you, I want you to, I want you to hear this today. When you, pray, when you pray to God, sympathy doesn't move God. And your plight doesn't move God. It takes faith to move God. Come on, it takes faith, and when you have the knowledge of the Word of God working in you, you can pray an effectual prayer of faith, and part of that is based upon just simply who God is, and that song thus simply inspired us in our worship today. Jesus said this about God, and this is what I want to say this. Jesus said, Father, he said, but I have known you. How many of you say, I want to know the Father? I just want to know Him and learn and fellowship and, and relate to Him. And I want to talk to you at the beginning today about the uniqueness and the mystery of the name of God. And as I do so, I want to always give a disclaimer. I'm in no wise a, uh, an authority on this matter. Um, I have studied it uh, periodically at various times along my 30-plus years of preaching history. But that doesn't mean that I'm in any wise an authority. It certainly does not mean that I can adequately stand on this platform and speak with a, a sure confidence that I am pronouncing a Hebrew name correctly. Okay? So you're just going to have to work with me and offer some grace in that matter. However, as I say that, I have found great personal inspiration just looking at the significance of God's name. Think with me for just a moment. There's significance in names biblically that we see that weren't necessarily directly applicable to God. I'll give you an example to this. When David um, met Abigail for the very first time, Abigail, uh, who became his wife upon the death of her husband, he was a, a crude man. His name was Nabal. She even said that Abigail said about her husband, she said, his name means folly, and he's full of folly. So there's an association with his character that was related to his name. And so you'll discover that in the Word of God, there is a, a corresponding revelation of a part of the nature of God or the character of God or characteristics of God that are associated with his name. Now let me say this. The translation of God in the Bible is a very unique and often complicated and controversial process. Entire volumes of books have been written describing this process and this intent. And there's a disagreement. There's many disagreements occur amongst theologians. 
And so my desire is not to stand up here in this perceived thought process that I'm even any wise trying to take a theological application. I'm trying to somehow glean from theologians and process it in my own life and then be able to communicate it to you just a little bit that it allows you to see the person of God revealed through his name to the degree that it allows you to commune on deeper fellowship with him. Right And walk with him and talk with him in the strength of that communion. And so there are various names ascribed to God in the Bible. We're going to begin first with Elohim for just a moment. We're going to begin to walk down. Now, I could not in any wise go through an exhaustive list of the names of God. But this is the very first name of God revealed in the Scriptures. Now, remember, when we see the term God in the Bible that many times that's a different Hebrew word that was actually translated God or Lord and others that we'll talk about here in just a few moments. But in Genesis 1 and 1, the familiar verse, in the beginning God, would be in the Hebrew, in the beginning Elohim. And it simply means the creator, the one true God speaking of as the creator. It's over 2,000 times in the Old Testament. Just for a moment of time, God is first known to mankind as creator. And you'll actually find for just a moment, if you study the lives of the patriarchs, that that was the the distinction in their theology as it related to God. That God was creator. Elohim was creator. Now the reality is this. When man sinned in the garden, was driven eastward as a result of his sin, out into this world, we know and we understand that there was a separation from the presence of God and personal fellowship with God. But Paul the Apostle would write in Romans 1 that the divine attributes of God would be clearly seen, being understood by that which is made. And so he was making the point is is that there is a creation that reveals a measure of us uh, under uh, knowledge about the creator. Correct? And so Elohim is the creator. But the problem was, as man was driven eastward from the presence of God, men began to take the creation and worship the creation as the creator. We call it idolatry, and it still exists to this day. But the distinction in the patriarchs and the faith of Noah, and from Noah to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and thus the origination of the Jewish people, is that they didn't worship God in creation. They worshiped the Creator. Come on, the maker of heaven and of earth. And so that allowed them, just very quickly, their faith in that one God, Elohim, the creator, distinct from the creation, is what distinguished the lineage of faith that they possess. And you and I, are uh, we are heirs to that faith. You and I don't worship the creation. I don't go out in my backyard and dig up out of the earth a pile of mud and form it and fashion it and set it on a pedestal in my house and call it God. No, I don't go out into the forest and chop a tree down and go home and take a knife and carve it out. I don't dig into the earth and look for gold or silver or rubies or precious stones and form them into some type of idol and say that's, no, you know what? I say I worship Elohim, the creator of heaven and of earth. All things were made by him and all things were made for him and without him there's not anything that was made that's made. He was before all things and he'll be here when it's all said and done because he's Elohim, the creator. Come on somebody, amen. Listen, and I don't care 
how many scientists and how many doctors uh, uh, in the sense of uh, schools of thought that teach our children that there's no God. I'm telling you today, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Creation reveals to me that there must be a creator, and the Hebrew people called him Elohim. Man, that's, I'm about to preach myself happy in here today. El Shaddai, the second one. Let's go down for just a moment because that's the text that kind of created the spark in this message. When God reaffirmed, now just for a moment, just so that you'll know this, the, the, the two letters L in the Hebrew is actually most often translated God. Just L is God. But it can also be the little g, the gods of the world or the idols as well. But used in the proper sense, it's speaking of Elohim God, El. But for, we're going to talk about El Shaddai. So when God formed a covenant and reaffirmed that covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17 and 1, I think we're going to put it on the screen. When God reaffirmed this covenant to Abraham, God revealed to himself, revealed a portion of himself unto Abraham at that moment, King James Bible would say, And Abraham was 90 years old and appeared before him and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. If you were to read that in the Hebrew, it would be Shaddai. El, God, Shaddai. I'm the Almighty God. And it's seven times in the Old Testament. And many believe that Shaddai is to be a nourisher or a sustainer. Let me give you another example of this to bring some clarification to this for just a moment. So that was the reaffirmation of the covenant made to Abraham made previously in Genesis 12, confirmed in Genesis 15, but reaffirmed after Abraham's failure with Hagar in Genesis chapter number 17, that I am not only Elohim the creator, but I am El Shaddai, I am, come on, the almighty God. And as a result, that would be a stimulus of faith. There might be a lot of gods around you, Abraham, but I'm the almighty God. Come on, somebody. And so when God met Jacob at Bethel, that was one of the points that I wanted to note for just a moment. I didn't do so last week because I was in the preaching mode, not the teaching mode. But when I was showing you or saying this to start the message, I'm going to say Bethel because we're familiar with that. But that's actually not the way it's pronounced. It's Beth-El because Beth means house. El means God. And he called the place where he pillowed his head the house of God. And when he went back to that place, and that was a significant part of the story that I chose to omit, he not only called it Bethel, he called it El Bethel because previously he knew about the God of the house or the house of God, but the second time he knew about the God of the house. And so in that moment after he offered a sacrifice at the altar, the Bible says God came and he reappeared unto, Ab or unto Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham, who received the promises. And now God speaks to him and he said the same words that he said to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Be faithful and I will bless you. He is El Shaddai. He's a nourisher. He's a sustainer. He's going to take care of you, Jacob. Glory to God. I'm glad I know him today as my El Shaddai, don't you? Well, let's go a little bit farther. It's just getting good in here today. El Elyon. I probably can't pronounce that correctly. It's 28 times in the original. It first appeared in Genesis 14 and 18 when a very important yet almost obscure biblical character appears, Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the priest slash king of an ancient Canaanite city called Salem. And it would later be the place that we call Jerusalem. And so Melchizedek came forth and met the patriarch Abraham following the battle with the kings in the valley. 
The scripture says that when Abram met Melchizedek, here's what the scripture says. Let's put that verse here on the screen if we can. He said, I am the most high. Look at this. Melchizedek was king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of what? The most high God. Now, that's powerful right there because in the actual original language, it means that the God of the highest preeminence. Can I say that again? I said the God of the highest preeminence. Listen to what David said. David said, I will cry unto God most high. El Elyon. I will cry not to a God that's within reach physically that I form out of the ground, but to an invisible God that's seated on his throne in the heavens, that the heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool, and that's the God that I'm going to call out to, the most high God. The psalmist went on to say, say concerning Israel. They remembered that God was their rock and that he was the most high God and he was their redeemer. Listen, this is kind of the culmination of this thought. There may be other spirit entities that men call God, but in the midst of all of those spirit entities or those idols or those demon forces, whatever you want to ascribe to idolatry, in the midst of that, there's one most high God and you and I are privileged to know him commune with him and worship him today come on somebody amen let's go a little bit farther i love this one l i probably i know i can't get this one though i listened to it several times on the blue letter bible pronunciation tab l olam the eternal god genesis 21 and 33 let's read that verse of scripture abraham planted a grove in beersheba and he called there on the name of the lord the everlasting god the everlasting God. That word there in the original is El Olam, the eternal God. What it simply is saying is it reveals something corresponding to the divine nature of God is that God is the everlasting God. God is the eternal God. Listen to this. He has no beginning, and therefore he has no ending. Come on now, that's powerful. He existed before all things... And all things came from him. And to every skeptic and to every atheist, he's never going away. He's never passing into obscurity. His flame will never be extinguished. And his glory will be seen continually because he's the eternal God. I love what the psalmist David said concerning the eternal God. David said, if I make my bed in heaven, he said, thou art there. He said, but if I'm laid to rest in the darkness and the depths of Sheol, of hell, he said, thou art there. I'm telling you, there's no escaping the eternal God because he was here before you got here, and he'll be here when you're gone. Come on, somebody. He's, the, he's El, come on, Olam, the eternal God. Now, I want to transition just a little bit. Adonai. Adonai is a word that we're not going to talk much about. It's used 434 times. It's the plural form of Adon, meaning Lord. And this is the word that in the third century A.D., as the Pharisaical Judaism began to, to consider the possibility that they were, by mispronouncing the name of God, they were breaking the commandment of taking the name of God in vain. And so they chose to no longer pronounce 
the covenant name of God that we're going to talk about here in just a moment, and they substituted it with Adonai. And many times Adonai is translated Lord in the King James Version of the Bible. But the name that they were afraid to speak of or to speak it audibly is the name that you and I are familiar with. We call it the proper name of God or the covenant name of God. It's Yahweh or Jehovah. Let's take a moment and talk about it. 6,500 times plus in the Old Testament, you will find four consonants of the Hebrew letters, four uh, Y-H-W-H, the Yud, the Hey, the V-A-V. I say that's Vav, the Vav. You never know with Hebrew. It could be a Vav. <laughs> hey. The vowels were added to assist in the pronunciation. Remember, I'm not trying to be a theologian here at all today. I'm just trying to tell you there is something powerful that can happen in your life when you understand that God's revealed his nature through his name. And when you just learn to be like the psalmist, we're going to honor and reverence the name of God. I'm telling you, you won't want to take that name in vain, but you want to be thankful for the name of God. This is what's called the covenant name of God. Jehovah is the English equivalent. It's many times also translated Lord in the Scripture. Actually, in that text that we open to read in Psalm 72, blessed be the Lord God, it would be in the Hebrew, blessed be Yahweh El. Blessed be Jehovah God. Blessed be Jehovah Yahweh El, the God, the God of Israel. Though it is not the first appearance, I want to show you a unique introduction that God makes to Israel concerning this name. And I want to read that collectively for just a moment. It's in Exodus chapter number 6. And God speaks to Moses after having appeared to him at the burning bush. And now Moses has made his way into Israel or into Egypt where the children of Israel have been enslaved in bondage for 400 years. And the children of Israel are groaning as a result of the oppression of the Egyptians. And already there's been some uh, struggle uh, to take place for the as Moses has arrived with a prophetic word to Pharaoh that the God of his fathers El Shaddai has appeared to him and spoken that Pharaoh is to let the people of Israel go. Moses has gone in to Pharaoh and recounted those words, and yet Pharaoh has his heart is hardened, and rather than let the people of God go, he actually puts greater oppression upon them. Now, I'm telling you, there's a mystery related to that because many times when you're on the brink of something powerful in the spirit, the enemy brings a new wave of oppression upon you. And there's where a lot of people miss it because they give up way too soon and don't trust God to bring them through this plight. And so in this passage, then Moses is starting to doubt because they're aggravated and they're frustrated because, you know, they were, they, were, they, were making the, they were making the mortar, but the hay and such was being provided for them in making the mortar, the, the Israelites were. But when Pharaoh was, uh, wanted to get back at Moses for pausing the people from their work, he said, I'm not going to give you anything to make the mortar out of. You're going to have to go and make it. And he said, and you better not let any brick, and the number of bricks you're supposed to produce, you better not shorten that number any at all. And they whipped the leaders of Israel. They beat them, and the leaders of Israel walk right out of Pharaoh's court, and there's Moses standing there with his rod and Aaron. And I'm telling you what, his heart is wavering. And he needs a word from God. I'm telling you, you would too if that was you. 
If, if, you, if you preach your first sermon at your new church and they're ready to, uh, to fire you after week number one, come on, somebody, and, and, and not only fire you, they, 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 they would, they'd probably like to stone you, just to, to be honest, uh, and because of the oppression that comes upon them. God reappears to Moses. Uh, and in that moment, I'm telling you, there's power in the name of God. Because at that moment, it's like God pulled back. Come on, like Superman, he pulled back. He said, let me show you something about me that you didn't know. Let me show you something that your Abraham didn't know. I want to show you something about who I am. And that's what he did in this passage. Let's read it. And the Lord said to Moses, he said, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he's going to let them go. And with a strong hand, he's going to drive them out. And God spake to Moses, and he said to the, unto him, I am the Lord. Come on, I am Yahweh. You and I, for the sake of understanding, can say Jehovah. I'm the Lord God Jehovah. He said, I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by my name of God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. He said, but I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And God said... God being in this moment Lord Jehovah, he said, I've heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I've remembered my covenant. And wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I'm going to bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I'll rid you out of their bondage, and I'll redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgment. And that's why we call that the covenant name of God. Because at that moment an oppressed people who were in covenant with God forgot about the covenant because of the oppression of the enemy but God showed up and spoke to Moses and said you know what Abraham was the patriarch but he knew me as Elohim and he knew me as El Shaddai but he didn't know me as Jehovah he didn't know that I was truly the covenant keeping God and I've not forgotten the covenant that I made with Abraham I hadn't forgot the covenant I made with Isaac or Jacob hundreds of years may have passed but I'm here now to fulfill the prophetic word that I made 400 years earlier because I am Jehovah the covenant keeping God Man, that's a good word right there. What's that mean to you and I today? That means at your lowest hour, at your darkest time, you're in covenant with God, and God's not forgot you. God's heard every cry, every petition, and you better get ready because just at the lowest moment in your life, that's when God shows up and says, I'm ready to lead you out and lead you in. Glory to God. What a powerful name it is today. Jehovah, God, Yahweh. Our God, the covenant-keeping God. And it reveals to us that God doesn't forget. Can I say that again? God doesn't forget. Have you ever forgot something? Something that you later regretted that you forgot? But God doesn't forget. God doesn't have to search His memory banks. It's always personified in His understanding and in His knowledge. Every word, every thought every hair upon your head. Before a word is formed in your tongue, God already knows what you're thinking. That's the God that I'm talking about today. And God has not forgotten the good things He's promised to your life. You just got to believe Him for it. And you just got to trust Him to lead you out that He might lead you in. He's Jehovah today. Well, let me go a little bit farther for just a few moments, if that's all right. 
Because this is a critical moment in this process because this is where this message takes a little bit of a detour. And because this name Jehovah became so important to the people of Israel, ancient Israel, it's where we also see additional names later added in Scripture to the name of Jehovah that you and I then, or theologians call it, the compound names of God. Because it's compounded. He is Jehovah, but when he also reveals a significant part of his character, often associated with a significant event in the lives of Israel, then it reveals to us that if he was one time Jehovah, what we're going to talk about, then he's always that Jehovah. So let's take, see if we can just make this. Uh, we sang in the song a moment ago, Jehovah Nisi. That's a word that you don't see that often or hear that often. But it's found in Exodus chapter number 17, verses 15 and 16. And that's a critical moment during the days of the Exodus. The children of Israel have come out of Egyptian bondage. And they're making their way on, in route to the promised land. And there's war with the Amalekites. This is that fateful story in the word of God where Moses has gone up on on the mountain and uh, he's holding the rod of God in his hand and the battle's taking place down in the valley and the, the Bible says that as long as Moses is strong and sustained and able to hold the rod up over the valley and the battlefield then Israel wins but when Moses grows fatigued and his arm begins to drop then the Amalekites begin to win and so the Bible says that two of Moses's uh, associates Aaron and Hur come up underneath Moses and they put a stone under him and they also each one of them hold his arms up until the sun begins to set and the Bible says they discomfited the Amalekites and as a result here's that passage of scripture it's Exodus chapter number 17 verses 15 and 16 I believe it is let's read it just real quickly and it says and Moses built an altar and he called the name of it Jehovah Nisi for he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalekite from generation to generation. Now, what does that all mean? And how is that applicable to us today for just a brief moment? The word Nisi means a banner. We sing it in the song, the Lord is my banner. But he's not just a banner, he's a victory banner. In the old days when the armies, opposing armies, came out to fight against each other, that they would stake out a rod or a stake with a banner, an insignia upon that banner. And so God said, notice this, that there's always going to be battles. I like that because that speaks to me prophetically. He said there's always going to be battles. But I want you to know that a rod has been placed in the earth with an insignia upon it that waves over you declaring my victory. And that's powerful in my life because I don't know about you that I still fight battles. I still have obstacles. I still face certain things in my life. But when I do so, I know that I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me and that the banner over me is love today. And I want you to know, and I'm going to get ahead of myself, but probably next week I'll show you the the prophetic significance about that it was called a mountain called Golgotha where a rod was placed in the earth and the, 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 the insignia upon it was Jesus Christ stretched out on the cross of Calvary and there you and I we look to as our banner and that Jesus' death was our victory his death was our victory and so I'm more than a conqueror and Paul said these words God always causes me to triumph I can't lose with God. 
There's never been a battle, never been a contest, never been a singular moment where God is lost. Dr. Braskell and I talked about it and said, how, what a shame when we say these words that the enemy, Satan, is the enemy of God. God can have no enemy, for an enemy would make him his equal. He is, Satan is not the enemy of God. He's our adversary. God can have no enemy because he's the, come on, he's the mighty conqueror. We fight under his battle. That's why you ought to live life with a smile on your face. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I do know. I, maybe I don't know everything, but I can know akin to what you're going through. But I know this one thing. God's promised you victory. Man, I'm spitting like one of those old-time Pentecostal preachers today. <laughs> you know, that's when it's getting good up in here. Maybe that's why nobody sits on the front row hardly at all. But listen, I'm telling you, that gives you a confidence that when you're going through trial, going through difficult days, that his banner is over you as a victory banner. And before you ever ever fight, God's already declared you the victor. Psalm 23 and 1 reveals to us a familiar one. Jehovah Raha. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that with me in that form, that most familiar of all Psalms, the world's most recognized Bible passage, Psalm 23? The psalmist David said, The Lord is my shepherd. And so if you were to read that in the Hebrew, it would say, Jehovah or Yahweh is Raha, he is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David said, therefore, I shall not lack. Church family today, God is your shepherd. Did you hear that today? You say, well, Pastor Brown, you're our pastor. No, no, God is your shepherd. The Bible says, he that keepeth Israel shall not slumber and he shall not sleep. He's always watching over you. He knows you. He knows you're rising up. He knows you're down sitting. And God loves you. And he's keeping you. And he's preserving you. And he's protecting you. And he's leading you. And he's sustaining you. And some of you are in difficult places in your life. And if you were to read the entirety of that psalm, David said he will walk with you through the valley, the darkest places of your life. God is right there as your shepherd. Comforting you, sustaining you, keeping you, preserving you, loving you. Many times if you've read and studied the history of the Middle Eastern shepherd, the shepherd would draw the sheep to him, and he would look over each sheep, and he would just care for the sheep. And if there were burrs in the, in the, in the, uh, the fleece, he would move them out diligently. If there were little uh, you know, mites in the, in the coat, he would, he would treat it with anointing oil. That's where that, uh, the, the anointing my head with oil comes from, because God cares for you. Jesus said the good shepherd will give us life, for the sheep. God loves you so much that he gave his life through his son for you. He is the good shepherd. He is the Lord Ra today. Number three, as almost already said here today, he is Jehovah Rapha, Exodus 15 and 26. He's the Lord who heals. This passage of scripture, let's put it up there. I want to read this real quickly. And if thou wilt diligently, this is the to the ancient Israel, hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in thy sight, and keep ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes. He said, I'll put none of these diseases upon thee which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh, Jehovah, that, can you read that? That, look at that, that healeth thee, Jehovah Rapha, he's the Lord your God, your healer. 
Now listen, I want to say this today real quickly. Every one of us has have faced medical crises in our lives. And I'm telling you, many of us will face medical crises at later dates in our lives. But we have a promise in the Word of God that He is Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord who heals us. Jace read a moment ago from Psalm 103, I will not forget any of his benefits. I will bless the Lord, O my soul, and not forget any of his benefits, for thou hast forgiven all my iniquities. How many of you know God's forgiven all your iniquities today through his person of Christ Jesus? But listen, in his addendum to that, he hath healed all thy diseases. That word heal is rapha because that is a part of the nature of God. There are those today that want you to know, and they want to steal out of your heart the faith to believe God. And they want to say, God no longer heals. It belonged to a specific era in the church history called the apostolic era. But let me tell you today, long before the apostles ever were birthed and ever walked with Jesus for three years, and then took upon him the mantle of preaching the gospel, God had already revealed a part of his nature. And his nature is he's a healer. He's Jehovah Rapha. It's a covenant blessing. You know what, let me say that again. I don't think everybody's catching hold of that. It belongs to you. I'm not somebody to tell you that don't take medicine or don't see doctors. I believe we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But I'm telling you, and as you do so, thank God for doctors and thank God for medicines. But let me say this, they cannot heal, they can only treat. There's one that can heal, and that's Jehovah Rapha. And when you're go- being treated, you thank God. Say, God, I thank you for this treatment, but I'm trusting that the, your divine nature is being released in my life. And that, God, you're healing all of my diseases. What a powerful word of encouragement to each one of us today to know that he is Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord who heals. Let's go a little bit farther, and then I'm going to wrap up for just a moment. These latter couple are very quick. I'm going to go over them. I love this one, Jehovah Shammah. Can y'all say that with me? You've never said that in all your life. Say where he's Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Now, in this passage of Scripture, is found in the book of Ezekiel, and it's towards the temple that the children of Israel are in what's called the Babylonian captivity. So they're in Babylon, but they are make, going to soon make their journey back to Jerusalem where they're going to build the temple, and God gives them a prophetic word. And I love this, and I just want to drop this in your spirit right now. And God is saying to Israel, before you even get there, I'm already there. Can you, oh, Jesus of Nazareth. My God, if anybody had any preaching in them right there at all, I'd have three people standing up preaching back at me right now. God is already there. I'm here. I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow, but let me tell you, the one I know who's already going to be there waiting on me to walk with me and talk with me and commune with me is Jehovah Shammah, the God who's already there. Let's go a little bit farther, number five, because I'm going to finish this part of it today. Jehovah Tiskanu, Jeremiah 23 and 6, says he is the Lord our righteousness. Not that you were righteous, you weren't. Jeremiah is the one, or Isaiah said, our righteousness was as filthy rags. But let me tell you who's perfect. Let me tell you who's upright. Let me tell you who's holy. And let me tell you who is just today. And that is Jehovah Tiskanu. The Lord is your righteousness today. You say, Pastor, what's that so important to my life? Because only he who is upright, only he who is perfect, only he who is holy, and only he who is just can declare someone who is unholy. Come on, and unrighteous as holy and righteous. And the next compound name of God is Jehovah Mkadesh, which is in Exodus 31 and 13. Listen to this. 
Shane, you may not have to preach this in Batesville tonight. He's the Lord who sanctifies you. Man, did you hear that? I don't think y'all did. Or y'all ready? Y'all would have, somebody would have responded. I said he's the God who sanctifies you. He's, you know what that means? The word sanctified, M Kadesh, it means, Kadesh means he sets you apart. Now, I want you to think about that. So often in the triviality of our minds, we think of ancient Israel as being, well, that's God's set-apart people. Let me tell you, you're God's set-apart people. You were added to the set-apart people. God doesn't have two people in the earth. He's got his descendants of Abraham. Those that are born by the lineage of Abraham still must have to have faith. Come on, I believe that justification is by faith, not just through being born of a descendant of Abraham. And if you have faith in God through Christ, then the Bible plainly says you are an heir of Abraham and you are declared as a child of God. And you've been set apart to the glory of God. Live every every day of your life with the knowledge that God chose you and set you apart for His glory. Live every day of your life with the esteem in your heart that God chose me, equipped me, and placed me in my surroundings that I can be a bright and a shining light for the glory of God. God has set me apart from evil for His glory, and I'm going to live every day reflecting the nature of His love because He is Jehovah M. Kadesh, which means He's the God that set me apart. And last two in closing, as uh, Shane, I think we should come back. Worship team, come back and prepare to sing that song one last time. This is the, are the two most familiar. It's Jehovah Jireh, but I'm going to save the. I'm going to save most of that for next week. But Jehovah Jireh, that passage of scripture is taken in Genesis chapter number 22 when Abraham has made the longest journey of his life up the mountains of Moriah with his son Isaac at his side and with a a, a torch or a flame in order to start the burnt offering and wood that he's laid upon Isaac. But the Bible says that as they're journeying, Isaac says, Father, he said, we've got the wood and we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, son, God himself shall provide a sacrifice. And that story tells us that when Abraham raises a dagger, having bound his son Isaac to fulfill the, uh, the test that God had put Abraham through, and he's raised his hand with a dagger in his hand, his only son is laid on the altar that he's built out of stone, And he's prepared to sacrifice him like he would an animal. An angel of God calls out from the heavens. Abraham, Abraham, slay not your son. For now I know that you love me. And the Bible says at that moment, Abraham lifted up his eyes. And he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And when he saw a ram caught in the thicket... The Bible says that that ram was substituted for Isaac. And Abraham said, I'm going to call this place Jehovah-Jireh. Because in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now listen, I know God's our nourisher and sustainer. And he's our provider and he's our daily provision, isn't he? But I tell you, we do a disservice to that text. When we think that Jehovah-Jireh is being directly and exactly fulfilled when you get a promotion on the job or when you get some groceries that somebody comes by and gives to you. Let me tell you, that text was bound 
to the prophetic day in which God would send His Son and provide Him as a substitution for our wretchedness, our sin, and our iniquity. Jesus Christ would be made sin so that the, the judgment of God would fall upon Him on the cross of Calvary in the mount of the Lord. It was provided for us a substitute. He died that we might live. And so when you worship, and we started off our worship, the first song said, thank God for the cross. We're actually saying Jehovah Jireh. Father, for on the cross you provided for me an atoning sacrifice for my sins. And lastly today, number eight, of the compound names of God revealed to us, Gideon erected an altar because the Bible says that God revealed himself as Jehovah Shalom. The God of peace. He's the God of peace today. Are you at peace with God? I am. I'm at peace with God. He's been made my peace. And so let me review this with you real quickly. Today the name of God that the psalmist David said was glorious. And his glory was tied to his name. He's Elohim our creator. He's El Shaddai, He's God Almighty. He's El Elyon, the Most High God. He's El Olam, the Eternal God. He's Adonai today, He's the Lord, and He's your Master. He's Jehovah, the Covenant-keeping God. He's Jehovah Nisi, He's your Banner. Are y'all catching this today? Are you catching this in your heart? This is God revealing who He is to you as an individual so that you might know him intimately and walk with him confidently in his divine virtue and the virtue of his name. He's Jehovah Raha, the Lord is your shepherd today. He's Jehovah Rapha, he's the Lord who heals. He's Jehovah Shama, before you get up in the morning, God will already be there waiting on you. I know Sherry loves me because when she gets up in the morning, I've already got coffee made. That's a good thing for her, I guess. So when she gets up, it's already waiting on her. Before you get up in the morning, tender mercies are already waiting on you. Goodness is already waiting on you. Kindness is already waiting on you. Mercy is already waiting on you because Jehovah Shammah is going to already be waiting on you. When you get up all sleepy-eyed, wiping the sleep out of your eye, Getting ready for the day. There's God sitting there just saying, I've been waiting on you to get up so we could visit and talk with you. Because he's always there. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's Jehovah Tiskanu. He's your righteousness. He's Jehovah Mkadesh. He's the Lord who called you out and set you apart. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord who provided. And he's the Lord Jehovah Shalom. He's the Lord who is peace. What a God we serve today. No wonder the psalmist said, the glorious name of God. I want to ask you before we sing this worship song to close the service, if our heads could be bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment of time. Because there may be somebody here under the sound of my voice that the only way that you've ever known God is just through that three-letter English equivalent word of God. That's all. You didn't know anything about him. You didn't know of his person or his personality. You didn't know of his divine attributes or of his characteristics. You didn't know that he provided a redemption for you through his son, uh, sustaining um, 
redemptive work on the cross of Calvary. You didn't know that he had gone to such travail that he sent his son to die in your stead and that you can know him as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provided atonement for you. But as I've been preaching today, your heart's been warmed to this revelation. And you're saying, Pastor, I want to know him today in a deep and personal and intimate relationship. You know, I've always just taught, called him the, the big man upstairs or God like a distant deity. But today, Pastor, you're saying he's personal. He has attributes, characteristics that I can learn and know. Pastor, would you, would you pray with me today? I'd like to be able to worship him for who he is. Put your hand up.